We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, um, I don't know, I, I was getting ready to, to kind of come out and, and, and I just felt like, could we just do this for a second? Can we just take a deep breath? Just like, <sighs> doesn't that feel good just to like, just let some stuff out? I mean, I don't know about you at home, but man, this week has been a little, like a little tense. You know what I'm saying? Like we watch more weird TV than we ever have in a long time. And we just, I think we just need Jesus today. Like, is that okay? We just have like Jesus and relax and just kind of do this and I'm just honored that you would be here. Thanks for joining us wherever you're at. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads and really glad that you would be with us here on Mantecas or you've been tuned in or turn up for a service wherever you might be at. And our chat room hosts, they are there for you to be able to connect with you throughout the service. You got a question, make sure that you, uh, you, you log in there and let them know. And as you take in the service, I want to let you know and everybody here to know that our mission at Crossroads has not changed. We exist to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And if we can help you take your next step anyway to do that, that's why we're here. That's why those chat hosts are there. And listen, for those that are joining us here in the, in the Manteca campus, I just want to thank you for following the rules, wearing the mask, doing the social distancing thing. Uh, those little signs that are on the chairs are there for a reason. You know, that if, it's a, if it's a row that's got a sign on it, we want you to skip in. And so thank you for just following directions and doing that for us. And I know the mask can be frustrating and irritating, but we just need your help to be able to do that and just 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 hang in there with us. God's working. We're going to get through it all. But thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, the election happened. We still don't know what the heck's going on. So we'll just kind of hang tight and we'll kind of, you know, tap on our shoulder once it's done. But man, we're trusting God through it all. Jesus is still king. I just checked. He's still king. We're okay. And uh, and we're just going to trust, trust that. But gang, we are in the week two of our series, which is called Do Good. Do Good is the series. It's a series that is really has two goals that are a part of it. And the first is that we are going to walk through the book of Titus, the small little book of Titus, and we're going to dive in to what God is telling us through this super small little book, but power-packed little letter that we have. And, and we're going to be kind of using this uh, one verse as our grounding verse, the entire series together. And we've kind of said that we're going to just say it out loud. So I'm going to encourage you to say it out loud at home or here. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to consider memorizing it, writing it down, take a screenshot of it, whatever it might be. It's in your Bible, so you can find it anywhere. But it's Titus 3.8. So we're going to throw it up on the screen. I want you to follow it. Just, just say it out loud again. Again, at home right now, I know you're there. Let's say it out loud. Here we go. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So we want to commit this to memory. We want to dive into the book of Titus. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, is that we want to do what it says. Like we just want to do it. We want to do good. And so what we've actually decided to do is that we are going to, we're going to be telling people good things. We want to be doing good things. That's what our, our, we just don't want to like read it. We actually want to, to do it. So which, which matches really well with our mission statement, kind of what I tell you each and every week here. And as I log off, as you log off or as you leave, I tell you, tag your it. 
I tell you that every stinking week. And you're probably saying, why do you do that? Well, here it is, okay? Here's what Tag Your It is all about. Tag Your It is a, is, is a mindset that when you come here, when you log in, when you come to the campus, you tag us. And we're here to tell your friends, your family, your kids, your neighbors about Jesus. That's why we're here. I promise that we will do that every week. We will share the gospel in an excellent way that you'll be able to understand. And that is the tag that you're tagging us. But I guarantee that when you leave, I'm going to tag you because then it's your job to go and do something with what you've just heard. That's what being a tag you're at Christian is all about. But, but our tag your it application to this series is that it's something that we're calling the do good challenge. That's your tag your it moment. And we've set a goal as a church to do 10,000 acts of good in the month of November. We just want to flood the Central Valley and beyond to do 10,000 acts of good. And the way that we've decided to, we want you to do that is through little things or big things. We'll talk about that in a moment. We want you to go to the website. We want you to go to crossroadsgrace.org slash do good. When you get there, you're going to notice there's a couple of buttons that you can actually press. Uh, the first one is, is that you can submit your act of goodness or you can share your story under there. All, uh, it's, it's, it's anonymous, so anybody that's all bent out of shape about saying, we shouldn't share good things. And, you know, listen, the world doesn't care about sharing the bad things, and we're going to share the good things. We just decided to do that. And so we're saying, hey, we're going to log these in here, and each and every week we're going to come back and kind of see how we're doing as we're getting closer to our 10,000 acts of good. Uh, I, I want to share just a few of those that some people have been doing uh, that we've, they've kind of shared. So uh, someone helped someone that they didn't know replace their car battery. That's good. Someone donated to World Vision, which is a ministry. Awesome. Uh, took their neighbor's trash cans out. Another person covered some Christian school tuition for a friend whose parents lost their job. Uh, someone bought groceries for someone whose car didn't work when they were checking out. Someone walked three miles around their neighborhood and picked up trash the entire way. Now, here's another fun one. Someone sang to a perfect stranger. Just came up, started singing, right? That's great. Doing good, whoever that might be at. I, I also, I just want to share this too, that I know of two teachers that have actually taken this concept and they're doing it in their classrooms. Someone kind of mirrored the whole website that we have and they're doing it in their high school. So there's all kinds of goodness that's happening and I can't wait to start seeing all those things start coming back. But before I give you the total for today, we actually have a special one. In fact, a live good moment that I'm going to kick back to Robbie in the lobby. Robbie, would you Take it away, my friend. Let's get some good going on in the lobby. Hey, thanks, Pastor B. So, you know, last week, oh, by the way, I'm COVID approved, okay? We got the mask on, we got kitchen gloves, we are ready to go. So last week you told us about, uh, you know, teach, see, do. And with this do good challenge, I wanted to teach you how easy it is to really have one of these good deed moments with someone very special to our church. Susan, she runs the volunteers at our church and she is a captain for that team. And we wanted to show her with a nice bouquet of flowers how much we appreciate her. Let's go. I'm really excited. Hey, Susan. So we wanted to show you how much we appreciate you with a nice bouquet of flowers. Thank you. You're welcome. From all of us on the team, we appreciate you so, so, so much. We would hug. We would, we would totally hug. We'd totally hug. <laughs> Air five. There we go. You're welcome. <laughs> You're smiling. That's right. <laughs> You're welcome. And just like that, church, a do good can happen just like that. So tag, you're it. Back to you, Pastor B. Listen, we got to get to our total. We got to keep going. So 
the total for this week is 478 acts of good. That's pretty good, y'all. Good, good job. We got more to do, and I guarantee Robbie's going to do some good in the lobby. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. But last week, we started off this series by looking at the first nine verses of the book of Titus. Now, the book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to a young man by the name of, you guessed it, Titus. Yeah, they really did. Got a lot of creativity when they came to naming the Bible. I know. But, but Titus was left by Paul to establish leadership in the churches that he had planted all along the island of Crete. That's what his job was. So, so Paul had given Titus instructions on how to identify the right leaders and to, to lead these churches that they had started. So, so we say that, that what Paul outlined was not just key for the church in 80 AD when, the, when it was actually written, but the things that he talked about were actually for the church of 2020 AD right now. And tucked into the long list of character traits that a great leader should have was this one line that was kind of tucked in there that just jumped out. It was, one who loves what is good. One, one who loves what is good. So as we unpacked what that meant, what it really means to do good, we said that from a leadership perspective, to be a leader that loves what is good, we have to be a leader that loves God first. That's where we began last week. And, and, and when we love what God loves, we will do as God does. That's just how it goes. So if you missed last week at all, I'm just going to highly recommend that you would check out that message. Uh, you know, click on a link below that we might give you. The chat host can put that in, the, in there right now. You can go to the Crossroads Grace app and do that. And make sure you download that app at home or in here. Because the Do Good Challenge is on there. It's really easy to connect. But also I'm telling you that we have got at the end of this series the $5 challenge that is bigger than anything that we have ever done. I, I'm just telling you, it is a monumental goal that we have, but it's going to do amazing, amazing things. So at the end of this, don't forget, $5 challenge or above, we're going we're to knock it out of the parking. Can't wait to share with it. Next week, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer. Before we begin today, okay, before I dive into the message and we start diving in together, I need to give you a little disclaimer. Today's message has a rating on it, and the rating is PGTBU. Probably going to be uncomfortable, okay? That's the, that's the rating that we got today, PGTBU, okay? And, and what I mean by that is that I believe that God is going to challenge us in some ways that are going to make us wriggle in our seats a little bit. And the reason I believe that's going to happen is I was wriggling in my seat as I wrote this thing, <laughs> right? So I just believe that that's what's going to happen. But, but listen, this isn't to scare you off. It's not for you to log off. Don't log off. I say this because I think it's time for us to retie our spiritual shoes a little bit tighter and let's get after it. Let's dig in. Because I believe that if we can understand and apply what we're going to talk about today, it is going to affect us in massive ways as Christians. Massive, massive ways. And, and here's the deal. If you're not a Christian here today, or you don't know anything about God, if you're just tuning in for the first time, I'm so glad that you're here, but I believe that this is going to resonate with you about what we're talking about today. Because Christians, Christians or not, the type of good that we're going to talk about is crucial for us, but it is especially crucial for us to consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. So buckle up, get ready, here we go. Have you ever had a person in your life that just oozes wisdom. You know, not, not oozes, that's, that's gross, but like oozes wisdom, you know? 
It's, it's that person that whether you like it or not, you know, they just have the right answers to most everything. And, and not in a way that's like super annoying or they kind of like they're, they're just bugging you all the time, but that you actually want to hear what they have to say. They're just wise people. They just are wise people that know what to say and how to say it. You, you, you maybe have experienced this. I was fortunate enough to have someone in my life that was just that. One of the wisest people I've ever met in my good friend, George Gerling. Now, now, now George is, is a staple here at Crossroads. He's been around for so long. But Pat and George were some of the first people that we met when we moved here from Chicago a little over five years ago. They welcomed us as though we were family. I remember it. You see, George was a Midwest guy, kind of like me. He grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and he was the son of a farmer. Like he, was a, he was a man's man. He was a smart businessman. He traveled the globe, kind of doing consulting for various companies his entire life. He, he had a wealth of knowledge, and he, and he loved Jesus more than probably some people I've ever met. He taught theology courses here at Crossroads. He was a board member. He was one of my closest friends, and he was an accountability partner of mine. Love George. But more than that, he was a great husband, a great father. He raised two boys in the shadow of Mount Diablo while raising goats and horses on a small ranch there. That was George. He and Pat had been married over 58 years before he passed away from COPD this year. He's my friend. He's someone that I, I totally, totally looked up to. And, and it didn't take too long when you were talking to George to realize that he was a very discerning man. He was able to size up people very quickly and he was almost always right. I love him. And he was also able to analyze situations really quickly and, and come up with a decision about things that just made sense. And I miss him so much. And I miss his wise discernment that he had possessed. I just miss George. And I think that discernment is one of the most important things that we can have in our life. It's that, it's that deep down feeling inside you that tells you when something smells fishy and icky or not. So some people might call this, well, that's just street smarts, Pastor B, or that's being cunning, or maybe you're crafty. But what it boils down to is the ability, the ability for us all to, regardless of what you might be facing, make a wise decision. And as Christians... Discernment is a critical aspect to following Jesus, to following him fully. Discernment is a sign that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. And if you, again, if you're just tuning in, you're not sure about God or Jesus or anything, let me just explain what I just said. See, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity of God. And it's described in the Bible, he's described as the counselor or comforter or breath of the Almighty. He's described as the advocate just to name a few things that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what was promised by Jesus as he's like getting ready to ascend back into heaven to say, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming to empower all followers of Jesus. See, see Jesus said this in John chapter 16 about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says that, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, Jesus says. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If you flip back to John chapter 14, we see Jesus say, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, so the Spirit of God is powerful and is critical to the life of a Christian. 
The spirit of God is critical. But, but the spirit is also the way that we can discern in our life from what is good from God and what is evil and not from God. See, see Paul would actually tell the church in Corinth as much when he, when he says this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that have come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So only through the Spirit of God are we able to have the Holy Spirit sniff test to discern what is right and what is not right. And this idea of discernment is critical. It's critical to our conversation about doing good as we enter back into the book of Titus. So again, if you have your Bibles with you or your Crossroads Grace apps, please turn with me. Titus chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Chat host is a great time for you to put that link in for the Bible so people can be able to follow on. That would be awesome if you could. In Titus chapter 1, let's start in verse 10 and let's dive in there together. Take a look. It says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So again, before we get too far, let me give some context to understand the weight of what Paul just told us. And here's the thing. As we said last week, Paul had left, had left this young man by the name of Titus on this island of Crete to lead and to solidify church leadership as, as it began to start. And so last week he said that he was talking about how you're to establish these strong leaders, what the qualifications of them were supposed to be, and what the right type of leader was. But the problem was is that we didn't get to answer the question of why. Like, like, why do these leaders need to be strong? Why do they need to be full of the Holy Spirit of God? Why is that? Well, the answer is what we, in what we just read here. Because so often, as is the case with most times, it, it, for instance, the people in Crete, they were trying to actually undermine and dissuade new followers of Jesus. Happens all the time, even, even back then. And what Paul calls these people are, are troublemakers. These troublemakers, he calls them the members of the circumcision group. Now, what in the world does that mean? What the heck are you talking about? What, what is a circumcision group? Well, the circumcision group was not just isolated to Crete, where we're talking about now. You see the circumcision group talked about all throughout the New Testament all the time. And, and, what, these, uh, and what this group of people would do is that they would go around, and first of all, here's what they would say. They would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. They'd say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. But then they would also say, that Jesus wasn't enough on his own. Yeah, they would say it's not enough. They would say that you needed to be both Jewish and Christian to be fully right with God. And one of the key signs of being a Jew is when you are circumcised, that you're being circumcised. That's right. These people at this time wanted grown men to do what babies do when they are just a few days old. Right, but, but except the only problem is that you don't have the luxury of a non-fully developed brain which helps you forget all the tragic, the tragic event that's going to take place. These guys are going to fully remember what's happening. You know what I'm talking about. So, so they were trying to convince these new followers of Jesus of, the, of that. They're like, hey, this is what you got to do. That They were undermining the leadership of the church. And they were saying, hey, yeah, you know what, that church, they don't know what they're really talking about. They don't, they don't know. See, what you need to do, you need to believe me. 
They, they said that there's a new equation that they aren't really telling you about. And here's the new equation. They're saying that it's Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. That Jesus on his own, he needs a little help. And so in this case, it's circumcision. But Paul says, don't listen to that. Like seriously, don't listen to that. He says, you need to discern and you need discernment to know what is true. Paul would tell Titus to remember what Jesus said was true. And now, Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul would also tell this church in Ephesus something similar where he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if Jesus says, here, here's the thing, you, all you need is me. That, that grace and grace alone is what makes you right with God. Then we can discern that anything contrary to that line of thinking is, is wrong. See, see, that's why in Titus 1.10, again, if we go back to that, what's, what's so important is that he says, here's what these people really are. Right? They are they're rebellious. They're, they're full of meaningless talk. There's deception in there. That's, that's what they're doing. That is the circumcision group. That is why Paul says that these people are all of these things. That, that, that's why he says, they, hey, listen, they're, they're, just, they're, they're rebellious. They're meaningless. They're, they're deceitful, right? They're just, they're just kind of full of it. They're, they're lying. They're lying. And that's what's so scary is that in this case, they weren't just trying to attack the leadership and the men of the church, what they were trying to do is they were trying to disrupt the whole household that said. So that means they were trying to take out the husbands and the wives and the kids and the grandmas and the grandpas. These were people that were masquerading as Christians, but were poisoning the true, pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. And, 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 while, and why were they doing this? You might ask, like, why, why would somebody do this? Was it out of like a pure, deep spiritual conviction? Nope. Was it that they were just kind of a little bit lost and off course? They just needed some recorrecting? Nope. No, it was, it was none of that. It, it was actually this. Titus 1.11 tells us. The reason that they did it was that for the sake of dishonest gain. It was for the money. They did it for the money. They did it for the power. They, they did it for the success. That's why they did it. They, they tried to tweak the gospel to make it fit their standard of living. Right? They, they had to tweak the message of grace because grace takes power away from them and they wanted all the power and all the fame. And, and, and maybe you're here today and, and you've, been, uh, you've been hurt by the church that, that way. Maybe you're listening to this right now and, and that's the reason you don't like Christians and you really don't like the church. It, it, it might just be because you see the church as always after your money and just wanting all the power. Or, or you might look around at the people that, that call themselves Christians. We've all seen this. And you're having a hard time reconciling how they speak and how they act with what they say that they believe. And, and if that's your story, like honest to goodness, if that's your story, I just, I want you to hear this from me, from a pastor. I'm sorry. That, that is not the Jesus I love. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. 
And so I'm sorry. And I'm actually grateful for you even being here and tuning in to give it another try. I appreciate that. But, but, but doesn't it seem like, like they've, they've made their own version of Christianity? And, and you look at them and it's like because they act like they want, they sleep with who they want to, they buy what they want, they cut corners however they want to, and they treat people how they want. And yet somehow they maintain this connection to Jesus by just doing whatever they want. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'll give you the secret. They're only fooling themselves when they do that. Only fooling themselves. Everyone else sees them for what they are. Everyone sees it. Even in Paul's day, the people knew what the people of Crete were really like. I mean, listen to how Paul describes this as he continues in in Titus. Um, He says this, he says, One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Now, here's what's cool about Paul. Paul's kind of my man. Like, I love Paul. He's super cool. He's, he's always using culture to drive home his point. He's always using culture. He looks to, to relevant things all around him to be able to connect his audience, that he's, to, to connect with the audience that he's speaking to. And, and he must have been following this Cretan philosopher by the name of uh, Epimenides, like on TikTok or something, because he was all over Epimenides. Like, he loved that dude. And he, he talked about him in, in this letter. He talked about him in other letters. You see proof of it all the way back in Acts chapter 17. If you want to go check out another quote from Epimenides, you're welcome to do that. But, but, but here in Titus, Paul once again goes to the Epimenides' words. He actually quotes him. But, but this time, he uses it to show that everyone... Even the poets of Crete knew that the Cretans were shady. They were shady. Look, look how he describes it. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy, gluttons. I mean, if you're being described as that, you're either a Cretan or a Dodger fan. Like, either one. This is what's happening here, right? Okay, I'm over. It's all good, right? See, the Cretans were known to be all that. And poets like Epimenides, they're like social influencers of the day. Like they kind of knew things and they had the pulse on culture. And, and they knew that that was the Cretans. That they, the Cretans were no bueno. No bueno with the Cretans, right? But what Paul doesn't say is this. He doesn't say, ah, just ignore them. Pretend, pretend like they're not there. They're just bullies. Just pretend like they're not there. Don't, don't make any waves at all. They'll just go away. No, no, no. What, what does he say? He actually tells them something pretty specific. He says, I want you to rebuke them sharply, he says. Rebuke them sharply. And, and what the word rebuke actually means, it's, it's pretty interesting. He, the, the word rebuke, is, it, it actually means to like exacerbate, like to, to, to kind of go beyond it, right? So, so Paul says, rebuke them sharply, he says. Rebuke them sharply because he says, I don't want you to mess around with them. I I want you to I want you to expose them. I want you to expose them. I want you to call them out. I want you to expose them for what is wrong. Now, here's the thing. Before all the Christians start to get all excited and, and, you know, they're like drooling because the self-righteousness is boiling up. Like, ooh, I get to judge somebody now. Yeah, yeah. Rebuke them sharply. Bring them on. You know what I'm talking about? Here's the thing. Pay very close attention. Pay very close attention to who he is calling out. 
It's the ones that say that they believe in Jesus. Remember? That they believe in Jesus. Not, not the ones that don't believe in him. Not the ones that are not sure. Not the ones that are they're waiting for more proof, for more information. No, it's the ones that say, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus. But, but I just don't want to believe in all the things that he says. The ones that say, don't get me wrong, I love the forgiveness of, of sins thing, but I don't want him to really bud in on me having a whole bunch of sin fun. But, you know, I, I have my own version of Jesus that, that gives me all the benefits of a Savior without the inconvenience of a Lord. That's what they say. And you see this all the time. And, and after I sat back and thought about this a little bit longer, I, I finally realized what this is actually called. It actually has a name. Because really we have Jesus, but what they're experiencing is Jesus-ish. Ish. Now, now to understand, you have to know kind of what ish is all about, right? You have to kind of understand. And so I found a definition online. I thought it was really might come in handy. And the definition of ish is you use this at the end of everything and you'll always be right. Right? That's what, that's what it is. You, you know what this is all about, though. Like, hey, what time are you coming home? Ah, 10-ish, right? You know, hey, what did you get on the test? A C-ish, right? Hey, where do you live? Modesto-ish. You know, it's, it's all, everything's a, a little bit of an ish. But when we are Jesus-ish, that's when we take what Jesus tells us to do and then ish it to make it fit what we want to do. That's what Jesus-ish is all about. I'm, I'm married-ish. I'm pure-ish. I'm faithful-ish. I'm honest-ish. I'm patient-ish. I attend church-ish. I honor God with my money-ish. I give of my time to others-ish. We, we take what we want from Jesus... And then we leave the rest so that we can always be right with, with us, not with God. It always needs to be right by us. This is what was, was happening in Crete. And Paul is saying, don't fall for all that ish. Don't fall for all that ish. Don't, don't at all. Which is why Paul goes on to say, in, in verse 15, he actually says this. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. That's pretty profound. This is, this is where your discernment is so critical. Paul says that if you want to tell the sincerity of someone's faith, he says, look at the purity of it. Look at the purity of it. Let, let's, let's think of it this way. Um, so my wife, uh, she's a nurse anesthetist, and she works crazy, crazy, crazy hours. Uh, and so the, uh, the only way that she survives and we maintain being married is by coffee. Yeah, that's just, yeah, that's the only way. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, like if, if there is not coffee to be had, my wife will grow like like, who knows, like a tail, and it just gets it ugly. You know what I'm talking about? So she just needs coffee. Any coffee people at all, right? Okay, online I see some likes happening right now, right? So, so coffee. So let's just say for a minute that we got up in the morning, 
And, and, and you looked and you came down and there was two pots of coffee and it says coffee on both of them. And, and you, you, you look at them and, and, and whoever made it for you said, hey, just trust me. They're both coffee. They're both coffee. Now, here, here's the reality. The, the only way that you know that it actually is, is, is coffee is like, you know, when you see it, that it's, it's coffee. But, but you know that you're getting like had when you pour it and it's, well, that ain't coffee, right? I don't even know what that is, actually. You know what I mean? Like, it, the, the proof is, is what's poured out. It might say coffee on the outside, but it only counts as coffee as if when you pour it out, that coffee comes out of it. That's how you know that it's pure coffee. So, so let, let me unpack it. You, you, use Paul's words to unpack this a little bit more. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. He says, you know what? You know how you'll know who is Jesus-ish? Who is Jesus plus something? Or, or who is pure Jesus? Do you want to know how you'll know? Not just by what they say, but by what they do. What, what comes out of them by their, their actions. By their actions. And, and gang, that, that is the look in the mirror moment that we have to have. That's the look in the mirror moment. This is the question that we have to wrestle with on a daily basis. It's this question right here. It says, what is pouring out of my life that proves I am following Jesus? That is a question we need to wrestle with. What's pouring out of us? Is, is Jesus pouring out of my life in my giving? Or do I put God last in my budget? Is Jesus pouring out of my life in the way that I serve at the church or in my community? Or am I just selfish with my time? Is Jesus pouring out of my life in my relationships? Or am I just still playing house thinking God doesn't care? Is Jesus pouring out of my marriage or am I just neglecting it? Is Jesus pouring out of my parenting or am I not leading my family to know Jesus at all? What's pouring out of you? And, and you might say, well, Pastor B, ain't none of your business, bro. Ain't none of your business. I don't have to do anything to believe in Jesus. And, and while belief in Jesus is amazing, it's an amazing first step. It's the biggest step towards following Jesus fully. James, the brother of Jesus, has some important things to say about our actions. I want you to look at James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He, he says that you will be able to discern what is good and what is not good by their deeds, by their actions. To borrow the phrase, the proof is in the pudding. It means that, that your true colors will be seen when, they are, when, when everything comes to light, when it's pushed into light. And, and listen, guys, it, it, it's kind of like this. Let's just think about this for a moment, okay? You, gotta know, you are not a basketball player if you read a book about basketball, okay? You are a basketball player when you play basketball. You are not the CEO of a company if you go to lunch with the CEO of a company. No, you are the CEO of a company when you work hard and you become the CEO of a company. 
You are not a restaurant owner just because you fill out a comment card that's, that says your bathrooms are nasty. Right? That doesn't count. No, you become a restaurant owner when you put money in, buy your own restaurant, and clean your own bathrooms. That's when it happens. Okay, you have to know this. So, so, let, so, so let me just have this all think about this. Okay, let's just all think about this for just a moment. Again, another really tough question we got to wrestle with is this. Am I doing Christ-like things that show I'm following Jesus fully as a Christian? Am I, am I doing Christ-like things? If you're not, you're Jesus-ish. You just are. So part of the discernment is not about like judging people. Should I date this person? Should I take this job? That's some discernment. But frankly, a lot of it's a discernment about us. Which means that as we live our lives, we are not only want to discern about others, but we want to discern about in us that is Jesus really the Lord of our life by what I do? What is pouring out of me? There are so many of us. Let's just think. There's so many of us right now that as we read this story, we look on the outside and we say, yep, I'm Titus. I'm Paul. We think that we're Titus and Paul, don't we? Do you know what? You want to know the reality? The reality is, is we are Cretans by how we live. My hand in the air. We just need to know that. Not to be like defeated, but frankly, to be convicted a little bit. And then to ask God, okay, God, how do I live more in line with how you designed me to live? How do I discern good from evil? How do I do the good things you want me to do? It should bring us back to him. How do I, how do, I do what you've called me to do? And, and this ability to, to, discern, to discern the good from the bad in our life is a gift from God himself. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us is the gift God gives us when our lives are given over to him completely. That's what the outpouring of the Spirit is all about. And one of, the, one of the coolest stories, examples of that really found is found in the Old Testament. One of my favorite ones. It's when King Solomon is given the chance to have anything he wants from God. Anything he wants. And what we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, it says this. Solomon says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon asked for discernment over riches or power or influence or success or anything else you or I immediately would think about. If you rub the lamp, those are the things you think about. Solomon says, no, 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 no. No, I want us, I want to be able to discern from right and wrong. And by asking for that, Solomon became not only the wisest man that's ever lived, but he also became the richest man that ever lived. And that doesn't mean that God's going to give you BMWs or the, the you know, perfect health and all kinds of money falling on your pants and everything. Nothing, nothing that, right? But when we ask God for discernment, his spirit falls on us. And when we ask God for discernment in our life, we have to ask, how are we doing that? How are we seeking God? How are we seeking out the good through the bad in, in all, all, that's all around us? Because if we didn't know, there's a lot of bad around us that we have to discern through. And the way that we do that, we make sure that we are aligning ourselves with the Spirit of God to guide us to what is good. 
That's what it is. A life submitted to the Holy Spirit is one who follows Jesus fully and is able to sense the Spirit moving to direct them in the right way to go. Very simply put, I want you to consider this today, that discernment is seeing the good through the bad. That's, that's what it is. You're simply saying, God, what is good? That's what's good? I'm going to do that. Instead of, mm, but that looks like more fun. Ah, that looks like, you know, that, that's a little bit too more hard work. This is a little bit easier. Right? Discernment is saying, no, I'm going to do the good through the bad. So that means that you, uh, you don't give up on your marriage. You see the good, even when things are bad. You don't give up on your, on your kids when they're driving you crazy. You see the good through the bad. You don't give up on being really, really, really there in your job and present in your job and, and, and active in your job. You keep doing good. You, you discern, you decide that I'm going to do the good in spite of the bad that you are discerning. The spirit of God is falling on you and then you get a chance to be able to understand where God wants you to be at. You need that discernment and that can't come from you. It only comes through Jesus. But I would just say this, as we prepare our hearts for communion and start to process through what that means, that Jesus didn't like do sin-ish for us. He didn't like, like take care of some of our sin. Jesus took care of it all. He didn't give up his life-ish. He gave up his entire life. Jesus didn't just come to this earth kind of. No, he came completely to this earth. He came because he loves us, because he wanted, he, he wanted to, he couldn't bear to be without us. And so wherever you're at, whether you're at home right now, you're here right now, you just need to know that Jesus loves you fully. He gave his life fully for you. He gives his Holy Spirit fully for you. So that your life can be lived to the full. That's what Jesus tells us. He says, I've come that you might have life and live it to the full. Not ish. So I don't know how many people here or how many people that are joining us right now today are living a Jesus-ish life, but I'm telling you, ish is not where it's at. A fully surrendered life to Jesus is where it's at. So where is he calling you today? Where is he calling you to, to trust him more? Where is he calling you to be discerning between the good and the bad in your life? Where is he calling you to? And when you understand that, then communion takes on a whole different meaning. Because it is through the cross that we can be made whole. It is through the empty tomb that we have freedom. It's through Jesus ascending back into heaven that we have a hope of a tomorrow we don't deserve. It is through all of that that we come back and we say, God, I believe in your son Jesus. Spirit, move in my life. Help me to be discerning about what I should do. And as we do that, we grow closer to him. As we do that, we understand that discernment is simply doing the good despite the bad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just come before you um, honored that you, would, um, that you would see something in us that we don't see in ourselves. So grateful, Father God, that you would um, give your son fully to us. That he would he would live amongst us fully, that he would understand our pain fully, that he would die fully for us. And I just pray right now that in a room this size and with the, the people that are watching right now, God, that there are people that are hurting right now. They might be confused. They might not know what is, they might have fear in their life. They might have been through some horrendous things. They might have 
had tough times at their job. I don't know what might be happening, but God, I know that your spirit can move and that if we'll take the ish off of Jesus, you will fully give us your son, fully give us your spirit so we can live a life to the full. Help us, Father, to do that, to trust you, to remember your son now through communion. We love you. We thank you. Jesus, it's your beautiful name we pray. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.